Hey, uh, I've continued the Book of Acts series today, going to Acts 21 in a message I've called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Come on, how many of y'all remember that movie? All right, I got a whole clip here. I'm, no, I'm just kidding, I don't have any. I wanna encourage any of you millennials that wanna see a real man act in a movie, go watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. The music's great, you've all heard it, I'm sure. The bow, wow, wow. Um, I'm actually terrible at titling sermons, but I feel like this message uh, and the text that we're in today is so heavy and hard. You know, sometimes we go to church and all we hear is victory, victory, victory. I'm gonna see a victory, ah, yeah, life is just great. And then you leave and it's really hard. Anybody ever experienced that before? Well, I think the Christian life is good, bad, and ugly. I think it's got some great highs and some really low lows. I think, uh, like a lot of us have, have kind of bought into this lie, come to Jesus, he'll make all your dreams come true. That's Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite. Come on, somebody. That's not Christianity. That's not life. You know why? Because we live this Christian life in a fallen and broken world. Turn with me to Acts 21. If you're new to our church, we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts. It's been a year and a half so far. We'll finish probably in the next seven years. But I just wanna say, how many of you realize life can be really fun and joyful and life can be really painful at times? In fact, some of you are going through some pain right now. How many of you, you, you just be honest, you say, man, I got some stuff going on that I'm, I'm a little anxious about. I got some pain in my life, relational pain, some diagnoses, maybe a job loss or whatever. It's true in every area of life, isn't it? Sometimes in the church world, we don't like to admit when things are tough. Like we're the best liars. We have a commandment, thou shalt not lie. Except when I go to church and someone says, how you doing? Praise God, I'm doing great. God is good, God is on the throne, hallelujah, brother. I just fought with my wife all the way here. She threatened to divorce me because of how I parked the car. My kids are a mess. I got a bunion joint on my knee, on my foot. I'm on my knee, that's real bad. Like that's, that's when you know it's bad. That bunion joint just crept all the way up your leg. Lost friends in combat. My job's unsure, my bank account's dry. But praise God I'm here, hallelujah. Where's the coffee? I mean, could you imagine an honest Sunday? How you doing brother? I can't stand my family. I don't know why y'all laughing. That's like true for half of y'all. <laughs> How you doing today? Well, my boss gets on my last good nerve. I had 10 of them, down to one. She's all over it. I got one friend in our church, he's a greeter, and he is brutally honest all the time. And if he's the door greeter for you, and you walk through his door and you go, hey, good morning, man, how you doing? He'll go, uh, <laughs> not great. My kids drive me nuts, glad you're here. Welcome to church. You know, could you just imagine an honest Sunday? But we're really good at just disguising the truth because we lie and say things. And I think part of it is well expectations. We don't want to bring anybody down. But man, life is hard. It's actually a real balance between easy and tough, joyful and painful, highs and lows. We've got great relationships and we've got toxic relationships. We've got days of great joy and days of great stress. Anybody watch the news? Jesus said, I'm gonna quote this a lot today. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It could be trouble at home, trouble in your family, trouble at school, trouble with your health, trouble with your kids, relational pain, breakup, social pain, societal chaos, a loss of health. Recently, a friend in our church, her mother passed away. Yesterday, life can be up and down. Today's gonna to feel really heavy. This is one of those passages, there's not a victory in this text right away. It's really heavy. Ecclesiastes 3, we have this famous passage. There was a band in the 70s, I think, or the 60s called The Birds that wrote a song about this Ecclesiastes passage. To everything, turn, turn, turn. You guys remember that? 
And the lyrics, it comes right out of Ecclesiastes 3. It says, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck and harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to laugh and a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to dance. We sang it this morning, I, I turned my sorrow to dancing. The text in Ecclesiastes 3, it's one of the famous uh, passages in, in the lyrics of that song, show us really the tension of the life that we live in this world. There are good times and challenging times and everything in between. The writer of the text uses a rhetorical device called a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, a merism. It's where you state two contrasting polarities, right? Two points that are the extreme opposites, like laugh and cry, born and die. And you say these two extremes and you infer everything in between. So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to be born and a time to die and then everything in between. There's times of joy and times of pain and everything in between. For the Christian, listen, there are high highs and low lows and everything in between. Following Jesus can be easy and can be really hard and everything in between. Today we pick up with the Apostle Paul in the very hard season. And I want us to not only see what happened to him, but I want us to evaluate how Paul walked through difficult times, how Paul walked through hard times and how God helped him through it as well. You and I will have tough times as we walk with Jesus. If you're not having a hard time right now, just wait. It's because we live in a broken world. It's because we live in a world that still has sin and sinners and sinful people and brokenness and disease and pestilence and hurricanes and storms and bad things happening even to good people. We have to anticipate hard times will happen. Remember, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And I believe how Paul would walk through pain is gonna teach us a lot. Now, let me give you the backup context again for some of you that weren't here last couple weeks. We've got the Apostle Paul coming from amazing ministry context. In fact, Paul has every pastor's dream resume. Planted thousands of churches, preached to thousands of people, raised the dead, healed the sick, literally wrote letters that became the Bible. I've never done that yet, y'all. I wrote a book, Parable Church, available on Amazon.com. But it ain't gonna make it in the Bible, you know what I'm saying? It's just not going to. The Apostle Paul has this amazing ministry resume. And he's coming off the road. He's seen thousands come to faith, planting churches, healing the sick, raised a dead kid, developed and discipled pastors and leaders to call them church planners. And he's literally walked with extreme integrity. He's kept drama at bay. He's preaching the word. He's rightly dividing the scripture. Thousands of people coming to Christ. Scholars estimate he walked over 10,000 miles in his ministry career, his three tours of ministry. And he's come back to Jerusalem and he's reporting to the elders. This is last week's sermon. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. He's reporting to the elders and to James, the chief elder, the leader of the church, who's the half-brother of Jesus, everything that's happened. Can you imagine what an amazing day that is? Paul's just giving a report of all the good news. And they respond, not with revival. They don't respond with strike up the band, let's have a worship service. They respond by telling the apostle Paul the drama that's been going on in his name. They respond to him with bad news. Have you ever talked to somebody with great news and they respond with, well, good for you. Here's what happened to me, wah, wah. It's like Debbie Downer, you know? If you've never watched the Debbie Downer skits on SNL, I encourage all of you to go, it's your assignment from your pastor. Go watch Debbie Downer on YouTube. They respond to him with bad news. They, they share the drama and the gossip about his ministry and accusations about him that aren't even true. As the elders of the church and the overseers of Paul's ministry They've asked Paul, this great evangelist, major apostle, 
to step down from visible ministry. They say, hey, Paul, they, they're accusing you of lying about us. They are accusing you of degrading our customs, of speaking against the laws of Moses, of coming against our Jewish traditions. They said, you're preaching this stuff everywhere and you're just tearing down our faith and what we're trying to build. And literally the apostles, the elders say to Paul, your reputation is hurting what we're trying to do. And so they say, why don't you take a break and walk with these four young men. They've asked them to back down from visible ministry and take a lap, lead a small group of four baby Christians who have illegitimately taken a Nazaritic vow, an old covenant, Numbers chapter six vow. This vow says, I won't uh, eat anything from the vine. I won't touch any dead animals or dead people. I won't eat any meat or anything like that. I'm gonna consecrate myself in prayer and devotion to purify myself. Paul would say purification comes from Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they're saying we're gonna purify ourselves by dedicating ourselves for a period, 30 days, 60 days, 14 days, whatever it is. And we're gonna end the vow by shaving our heads and when you end the Nazarite vow, you shave your head and you burn the hair as an offering to God. I'm talking facial hair, head hair, armpit hair, I don't know, all your body hair, you shave it all off and you burn it to God as an offering. And then you pay a priest, because this is a rare like, duty, you have to pay a priest to facilitate this whole vow. And you pay for an animal to sacrifice. And so they say to Paul, hey, why don't you take a break from ministry? Why don't you, thanks for all the good news. We, uh, you're causing us drama why don't you take a break and walk with these four boys for however long their vow is and then pay for their vow and shave your head too. Paul has preached to thousands. He's traveled the known world, started tons of churches. He's writing letters that become the Bible. He's raised the dead and now he's helping a young adult small group of baby Christians take a vow that's not even necessary an old covenant purity vow that will end with him shaving his head in order to obey his leaders. Paul, the great apostle, the church planter, the world traveler, is the high school small group leader for four guys who are misinformed. Talk about humbling. And I love that Paul actually does it. I actually read this text to you last week, but I wanted to just chew on it for just a little bit longer. And I want you to see that following Jesus is hard and humbling sometimes. Following Jesus is hard and humbling sometimes. There are times in your walk with God that it's just not all up and to the right victory. It's not all overcoming. Sometimes it's really hard and it can be really humbling. If you look at the text in verse 26, it says, now, Paul took these four young men and the next day he purified himself. In other words, he goes, okay, let me go get ready for this purification vow, this Nazarite vow. Let me go purify myself too. If I'm gonna do this, I gotta get my own life right. The next day he purified himself along with them. And then he went into the temple because he's the apostle Paul. I mean, he's the leader of the Christian movement. And he goes into the temple and he makes notification he gives notice of when the days of purification would be fulfilled. In other words, he gives them the timeline of this vow. Hey, I got these boys, we're gonna do the Nazarite vow, everybody. And this is how many days we're gonna do it. He gives notice of how many days of purification would be fulfilled. And then he gives notice of the offering presented for each, and I'm gonna pay for each of them to have a ram to sacrifice at the end of this thing. And then it says, when the seven days were almost completed. So we see at least a week 
for this vow. And I'm just really struck by this passage. The Apostle Paul, world traveler, biggest crusade leader ever. And he's humble to the point when his leaders ask him. Paul chooses to humble himself and serve his leaders by serving these four young men. I thought about this text a lot. And I'm so grateful that Paul models humility and a willingness to submit to his leaders. Now, <clears throat> this could feel a little self-serving as your pastor to teach this, but just, just hear me out for a minute. It could have been really easy for Paul to go, man, that's below my pay grade. That's beneath my level of leadership. Do you know what I've done? Have, did you know I raised a young boy from the dead and you want me to go shave my head with these high schoolers? Paul could have said, I don't have time for this sort of trivial or banal ministry. He could have said, let one of the junior apostles or one of the ministers on my team handle these guys. He could have said, hey, I'll spend a week with these guys, but there's no way I'm shaving my head. I have a really knobby head. There's no way. He could have protested. He could have used his pedigree, his education, his testimony to get out of it. He could have petitioned instead to rest. He could have said, hey guys, I just walked 10,000 miles. I need to, give me a month off. Instead, he humbled himself and he just did what he was asked. Following Jesus can be hard and it can be very humbling at times. His elders asked him to do this. Let me just remind you, Paul was the apostle. But anyone in authority must also know how to be under authority. And when Paul came back to Jerusalem, he meets with the elders and they are his pastors. Hey church, listen, I may be the leader of this church, I may be in authority here, but I have pastors that I submit to. Anyone in authority must learn how to be under authority. And his elders, his pastors asked him to do this. Great, really excited about your world tour. Would you walk these four guys through a small group? And he humbly submits. We see no indication that he argued with them, that he tried to negotiate terms. He literally just walks right in and submits himself to their leadership. If you were here last week or read the previous text, it was Paul being falsely accused. He was teaching against the Jewish faith and the customs and his ministry brought a bad name. He didn't take time to defend. He didn't call Don Lemon or Tucker Carlson and say, let's have a meeting with my accusers. They asked him to spend time with these guys and he humbles himself and he does it. Now listen, I've worked around a lot of leaders in a lot of different fields, business owners, CEOs, pastors of large churches. One thing I've consistently noticed is that God gives a special grace and anointing on leaders who are humble. I've watched CEOs and company presidents pick up trash, open doors for others, be the first to give generously, take it on the chin with accusations that aren't even true, call others sir or ma'am, and treat people better than themselves. I've also watched leaders who run organizations or churches they would easily dismiss opportunities because they think those people or those things are beneath them, their level of influence. I'm an apostle, I'm a bishop for God's sake. And they would mistreat people that they would consider beneath them. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud and God gives grace to the humble. This is not just a leadership axiom, this is a Christianity axiom. There's a special grace on your life when you choose to walk in humility. Part of serving Jesus is to walk in humility. Let your life be on display. Tell the Lord, I'm here to be spent at your pleasure. I make no demands, I have no expectations. God, whatever you want of me is what I'll do. 
Paul could have easily defended his right to not do that, but instead he submitted to his pastors, he submitted to his leaders. Can I encourage you, church? Be willing to serve. Be willing to open doors for others, figuratively and even literally. Be willing to learn from anybody. Look people in the eye when you talk to them. Focus on them, not the person behind them that seems more important. Jesus repelled people like that. In fact, he gave a parable saying, if you offer a dinner and someone lowly comes to your dinner and you, you move them down the seat, down the table, the org chart, in order to put someone of more value at a higher place at the table, he said, shame on you for that and God will not reward you for it. Live your life making room to be interrupted for, for those that are at a lower station than you. Let children interrupt your, your life and give, you, give them the, your attention. Submit to authority and stop resisting them. Man, there's a special grace on people who are humble. And serving God can be humbling and hard sometimes. Some of you, like one of the reasons you just refuse to serve on a dream team is because you refuse to be humbled. Many of us that struggle with generosity struggle with humility. Many times when we struggle with prayer and we decide I'm gonna go figure this out and fix it on my own, it's because we're struggling with humility to put something in the hands of God. One of my favorite leaders is a man who's a part of our church. He, he's uh, been a part of our church for a number of years. He's since moved to Florida, but he watches every weekend and he's a retired four-star general named Gary Luck. General Luck's been a part of this church for a while, and, and uh, he was here for like three years before he ever introduced himself to me. And I asked him, I said, why didn't you never tell me who you were? He's like, man, you got enough people clamoring for your attention. I'm just honored that you're my pastor. And then he asked me one day to come to his house. I said, yes, sir. He calls me my son, right? He calls me up. He said, how are you doing, my son? I was like, great, sir. How are you? He said, hey, come to my house. I'd love to hang out with you. So I go to his house with a notebook and a pen. I never get around guys like that without learning. And I was just talking to him and, I, and I'm, I'm asking him lessons on leadership and tell me about, you know, great exploits and all this stuff. And he said, man, one of my favorite moments that I ever had was when I made everybody in leadership angry by serving my company. I said, what are you talking about? So he shares the story. It's actually written in a book, uh, I think by uh, General McChrystal. But he, he tells this story where uh, there was like a changing of the guard or something like that on Fort Campbell and they had everybody, uh, they had like I don't know, millions of people, I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> thousands of people in parade out on a parade field. And all the soldiers in uniform out there standing, I don't know if it's parade rest or attention, I don't know. And uh, all the, the brass and the high ups were in a green room and covered in tent. It was pouring rain. And General Luck said, I was standing in the room with all these guys trying to stay out of the rain. And I look out there and I see all my soldiers who signed up to fight for me. And, and he said, so I just walked out there with them and I, I stood next to them. And he said, I had guys come in and tell me, General Luck, get back in here. You don't want to stand out here in the rain. He said, my guys are out here, so I'm out here. And there's something about when you're in a position of leadership and authority, choosing to humble yourself and to lower yourself that actually elevates you in the eyes of so many other people. And listen, following Jesus can be hard. And we're gonna see hard in just a moment, but it's also humbling. It should be humble. Listen, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I want you to notice specifically, and again, this can feel very self-serving. Paul submitted to his pastors, his spiritual authority. Paul was a world traveling apostle, and yet he comes to the elders of the church, and they asked him to take these four guys under his wing, 
And he immediately does it. And you know what? It cost him a lot. It cost him a week of his time. It cost him money for his offerings. It cost him a perfectly good head of hair. And I want to encourage you, church, listen, this is a Christian ethic. Choose to walk in humility. Choose to lose. Submit to those in authority, even when it's hard. Let your pastor and your small group leader lead you and trust that God has given you a pastor to care for you. If you're concerned that you have a pastor that's only here to abuse you and take advantage of you, find another pastor. But I'm telling you, our desire here is to lead and serve you in a way that's good for you. It sounds really good, right? And I'm sorry if this feels self-serving, but like I understand the value of being under a pastor leadership. And serving Jesus can be hard and humbling at times. And here's the second thing we're gonna see from Paul. Following Jesus does not guarantee bliss. I think, again, we've all believed this lie. Come to Jesus. It's 100% easy street. That is not true. People have said to me over the years, like, I tried Christianity. It was hard. It didn't work for me. I got into church, and then my life fell apart. Or think, No, your life was falling apart before. You just maybe believed that it was going to get better because you gave your life to Jesus. I've had people say, man, I tried Christianity. It was hard. I just left. Well, it's still hard out there. The difference is there's no eternal reward apart from his church and apart from Jesus. So it's going to be hard now and forever in eternity, right? But following Jesus does not guarantee bliss. And if you've bought into that lie, I want to encourage you to please stop believing that that's true. In verse 27, it says this, when the seven days were almost completed, so the seven days of this purification ritual, the Jews from Asia, now remember, he's in Jerusalem. Those in Asia, Galatia and and those regions like in the North Mediterranean, they had traveled to Jerusalem. These Jews from Asia seeing Paul in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him. How many of y'all know what that means? They laid hands on my man. You know what I'm saying? They put their hands on him. They laid hands on him, crying out, watch these lies, these dissension. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who is teaching everybody everywhere against the people, against the law, and even against this place. They're in the temple, the holy place, and they're lying. They're making up drama about Paul saying, this man is teaching everyone everywhere against God's people, against God's word, and against God's house. Man, I'm going to tell you how to stir up religious people, accuse somebody of coming against the Bible, against the building, and against God's people. I just want to say this is really tough. And here's why this is tough for me. Paul was literally doing what his pastors told him to do. Paul was dead center in obedience to God. He was literally submitted to spiritual authority, submitted to God. He was trying to help young Christians get get better to know God and fulfill their vows. He was not in sin. He wasn't living in rebellion. He was truly living a faithful, fully devoted following life of Jesus. And in the midst of that, bad things happened to Paul. I want you to realize the pain he went through. He was lied about. He was physically assaulted. They laid hands on him. They lied. They exaggerated their lies. They said, everyone, everywhere, he's teaching against God's people and his word and this house. Man, religious people love to make places sacred, don't they? And then look at this. In verse 28, it says, moreover, they're still accusing Paul. Men of Israel, help us. He's teaching everywhere, everything against people law in this place. Moreover, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Now, let me give you a little backstory here. Uh, The temple mound, 
Temple Mount had um, the, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, and only the priests could go in there. And then there was this other court of, of the Jews where Jewish people only could be. Then they had this outer court for Gentiles and a court for the women. And once you got to this inner court and heading into the building itself, there was literally, scholars believe there was signage on this fence that said, no Gentiles, no non-Jews can cross the threshold of this fence. And if you cross this, you'll be killed for it. So this is how holy this religion is. They will execute you for trying to get too close to their God. Sounds reasonable, right? Aren't you glad we're a church where anyone can come in the place and let God deal with all that stuff? But there was, a, there was signage saying Gentiles and non-Jews cannot enter past this gate. And they're accusing him. He's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. This is worthy of capital punishment. The Greeks or the Gentiles that would come past that fence, they would have the right to kill them in public. And here's the commentary Luke gives. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian. This is a Greek, the Gentile, who's doing life with Paul. Paul was a great pastor. He always kept non-believers and new believers with him. He was always discipling people. They seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And look at this. And they supposed. I mean, come on, right? They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They didn't have any factual evidence. They didn't have it on film. They supposed because of his acquaintance with Trophimus, they assumed, so that's part of their accusation. He's teaching everybody everywhere against the people, against the law, against the, the house, and he's even bringing sinners into the temple, and that guy deserves to die. For any Greek or Gentile to enter into this place was worthy of death. Paul was accused of violating this restriction, but it was their supposition, it wasn't even true. And then it says, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together, the whole city, I mean, this is like, it's mob mentality, spreading like wildfire. The whole city stirred up, ran together. They seized Paul. They drug him out of the temple and they shut the gates to the temple. So he had no way of getting refuge at this point. I just want you to remember, all of this was happening while Paul was in the middle of living a devoted life to Jesus. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Just because you're living for God, doing your best, faithful to church, faithful to your prayer life, tithing and serving on Dream Team, that doesn't mean you won't have pain. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee bliss. And sometimes God allows bad things to happen to really good people. I mean, of all the people in the Bible, Paul was a really good man. He had dedicated his life to building God's kingdom. I don't know about you, but I've not done the things that Paul has done. He was living in submission to his authority, submission to his pastors. We, listen, as Christians, we don't believe in karma. Karma has this theology, this doctrine that, you know, the universe is playing pros and cons against you. And if you do something bad, then, then karma is going to get bad on you. We don't believe that garbage. Are you kidding me? We live under the grace of the Holy Spirit. We live under the grace of God. We don't believe in karma. But Paul is here doing some, some people say, well, maybe Paul had some secret sin in his life. Paul had some stuff. God was getting back at him for all the bad things. that he, God is not a punishing God. He's not a vengeful God against his sons and daughters. God, Paul was fully forgiven, fully devoted, fully filled with the spirit and fully committed to serving Jesus, living above reproach, submitting to his pastors and still terrible stuff happened to him. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
because we live in a fallen world, because sinful people sin, because people cause pain, because we still get sick, because relationships go awry, because kids frustrate us, because marriages implode, because tornadoes and natural disasters still happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Life can be really great and life can be really hard and everything in between. But that's not because we serve a bad God. That's not because we serve a bad God. It's because we live in a fallen world and pain is real. People cause pain. Things happen. I'm literally standing up here preaching to you, doing one of the best things I know to do with my life and my daughter's at home sick today. It's everything in between. We live with pain. We live with sickness. We live with difficulty. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we won't experience pain. I've been quoting it a lot, but let me show it to you. It's John 3.16. Jesus said, excuse me, John 16.33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, but take heart. And this is my commentary. This is MIV, Mike's International Version. Come on, this is my Amplified Bible, y'all. He said, but take heart, that's be encouraged, build your faith, mature with this thought. Jesus says, I've overcome this world. I just want you to understand, just because it's hard doesn't mean God's hard, doesn't mean God caused it. In fact, God never puts bad on you. He may allow it, but it's because he's allowing something to transform in you. That doesn't mean he causes it because he allows it. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and people may be selfish against you, but God said, I have come that you may have abundant life and full life, and when life is painful, listen, run to Jesus, go to him, lean into his church, don't run away from it. I'm, one of the things I'm so proud of the apostle Paul in all of his story. Listen, he's had more highs than any of us in ministry, but he's also had way more lows than any of us. I've never been beaten within an inch of my life. I've never been whipped 39 times, three different times. I've never been snake bit and left for dead on an island. I've never been drug out of church by a bunch of religious mobsters and beat the fire out of me in the parking lot. That's never happened to me. But I love what the apostle Paul, he never turns his back on God or his church. Guess what? The next chapter he's preaching again. The next chapter, he's serving Jesus again. And as bad as it is here, he left from full obedience to God. I'm serving my elders, I'm serving these boys, I'm doing God's will, and yet it was hard as could be. And he never turned his back on the Lord. He never turns his back on the church. He never goes, I can't handle you religious people anymore. You church folks, my church hurts too bad. I'm going off on my own on an island. He never does that. You know why Paul writes in Philippians 4? He says, I know how to abound and how to be brought low. I know how to have plenty and how to have nothing. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Church, following Jesus does not guarantee bliss, but it does guarantee Jesus. Think about it as a kid. When you fall and scrape your knee, who do you run to? A parent, why? because we know that there's safety there. We know that there's cover there. Why is it though, when we become teenagers, young adults or grownups, when we get hurt by this broken world, hurt by painful relationships, hurt by church people, hurt by bad news, hurt by job loss or a sickness, we run away from God in his church. Listen, we should never run from God. We should always be running to him. We should never abandon his family. We should stay connected to his family. I'm always amazed when Christians go through bad things and they go, I gotta leave the church because I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed, I can't bring this on them. Oh man, what would they say about me? We would say greater is he in you than he that's in this world. We would say we're for you, not against you. We would say lean into us and let us walk with you through this. I'm always so grieved when I watch people who divorce in the church. We get married in churches and divorced in courts. I don't understand that. And then both couples lose the church. 
Both parties in the couple leave the church. Why? Well, I'm embarrassed to show my, what are you talking about? We're all messed up. You might be walking through that and I'm walking through something else, but we need each other. Paul never abandons the church or Jesus. I gotta stop here and just say, I was writing this message and the Lord just gave me a word for somebody. It may be in another service or maybe for somebody in here. I feel like this is a prophetic word for you. Some of you right now, you're in so much pain. You're living in the bad and the ugly, not the good. And you're tempted to grow bitter at God, to carry anger at God and his people who have hurt you. You've been disappointed by pastors, church folks, religious leaders, or you've just been disappointed with God because your life has been hard. And you've been tempted to run from God and run from his church. In fact, somebody listening to this today, you've decided is your last attempt at coming to your church and you're gonna call it quits. I just believe the Lord wants me to tell you, run to God, run to God, do not give up on him. Run to God, lean on him, don't abandon him or his broken church. God is for you more than the pain is against you. We are for you as imperfect as we are. We love you, we are for you, we will stand with you. Listen, don't abandon God, don't abandon his church, run to God. Don't give up on the Lord. Trust him, turn to him, lean in on him. Listen, Paul is literally getting beat in the street for obeying God. Don't you turn your back on God. There's a verse in Romans that says, it's Romans chapter eight, verse 18. He says, I consider, this is the apostle Paul writing again, the sufferings of this present time. This is Paul, he suffered. He goes, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He, he compares the suffering and the glory. He goes, I may be at a 10, at a 10, suffering, but it's nothing compared to the infinite glory that's to come. I can endure this because I get to receive that. It may be hard as granite for you right now. Your family, your relationship, your marriage, your health may be at the absolute worst and it's nothing compared to the glory that is to come. Following Jesus does not guarantee a life of bliss, but it does guarantee Jesus. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know who that word is for, but you run to God, you don't leave him. You lean into your church, you call us, you, you find a small, you look at somebody next to you and you go, you look like you're gonna help me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pastor Mike just said. And as painful as it was for Paul, I want you to see the amazing way God shows up. Many of us would read this, if I was, if you'd never read the text ahead, some of you have and some of you haven't. Some of you are like, here comes the angels. Could you just imagine? This whole troop of angels, they heal marriages, they, they fix everybody, they just, they just men in black, all these bad religious mobsters, they just zap, zap them out of their crazy. Watch what God does. Paul never curses God. You remember, the re if you've read the book of Job, I mean, Job lost everything. And all of his friends are like, just curse God and die. Job goes, I couldn't do that. God's not doing this to me, I'm not mad at God. Even his wife says, why don't you curse God and die, Job? And the Apostle Paul probably could have had that same angle. Hey, can I just 
can I say something really hard but loving because I love you? I just want, I've, I've pastored a long time. Let me just say something to you. Over the years, I've noticed the people that give up on God when life is hard didn't really have a deep relationship with God. The people that give up on the church when the church lets them down didn't really have a deep relationship with the church. I'm just, I'm telling you, if you're tempted to run, your, your gut reaction is because you're not close enough to God to trust him and to know that he's good in spite of pain. And, and your only play is to go get closer to the one who's just going, I'm right, hey, I've not done this to you. I'll walk you through it. Romans 8, 28, I'll work this together for your good. I think of the story of Yapak, Sherry Nicholson, who started Yapak, literally left an abusive, aggressively abusive marriage with three little children, was homeless on the streets. And years later, God would use that story to start Yapak to reach women and children on the streets who are homeless because of abuse. God will use the pain that you're going through, but you gotta lean into him. You gotta run to him and trust him and know that God is with you even in the hard times. Watch this in verse 31. This is amazing what happens. Paul never turns his back on God. He's getting the devil beat. He's just getting beat in the street, y'all. They grabbed him. They put his hand, their hands on him and they're, yell, they're accusing him of all kinds of stuff. And, and it says, they were seeking to kill him. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be a guest preacher anywhere where they're trying to kill me. I would be out of Jerusalem. That, you know what, I'm going back to Ephesus. I can't hang with my own people. They were seeking to kill him and word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Now a tribune, that's not a word that we use today, but it's a captain, it's a, it's a military person. It's, a, it's an officer of the military over a thousand soldiers. A centurion oversees a hundred soldiers and a, a, a tribune oversees at least 10 centurions. So a military captain gets word. Now his job, he's assigned by Rome. He's not a Christian. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman pagan. And he's an officer in Rome's army and he's overseeing the chaos of Jerusalem. He's a cop. He's a captain in the army. And he hears word that all of Jerusalem is in confusion. So at once, he takes soldiers and centurions. So every centurion brings 100 soldiers. He brings hundreds of people and they run down to this chaos and confusion. And when they saw, they, the Jewish leaders, saw the tribune and soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So can you imagine this? <laughs> okay, we should stop. Because when the cops and the army showed up, God uses a military captain, a Roman leader. God didn't send the church for a prayer meeting for Paul. God didn't send an angel from heaven to stop them from beating Paul. God sent soldiers and cops to put the hand of God and protection over Paul. He gets as many soldiers as he needs to protect Paul from the religious mob. When the soldier and his commanded battalion show up, they stop assaulting the apostle. Listen to me, I just wanna tell every soldier, every police officer, every sheriff's deputy, God has his hand on you and wants to use you. You are a gift to the world. Listen to me, stop. You're a gift 
to bring order into chaos. You have an anointing from God. He wants to use you to protect the innocent, to stop violence. Some of you have struggled with your assignment as a soldier. You go, I can't, I feel so guilty about it. No, God's anointing is on you to stop violence and chaos. And he may use you to protect a pastor or some mom in the street in Afghanistan. This tribune and his soldiers were not part of their religious establishment, but God sent them, God used them to protect the secular government officials God used to protect Paul and stop the crazy from happening. I want you to be encouraged soldiers. I want you to be encouraged officers. Walk in an anointing from God as police officers, as sheriff's deputies and soldiers. Your presence and your authority are actually part of the gift of God. Romans 13 says God's established government to bear the sword. It's not pastors who come in there and kick the devil out of all these people. It's soldiers showing up. I just wanna encourage all of you soldiers, some of you and officers that have felt guilt for what you do, you're a gift from God. And I'm gonna tell you as a pastor, I'm so thankful for you. We love having cops around here. We love having soldiers in our church. It's the tribune who comes in and that God uses to protect the apostle. Isn't that amazing? The tribune came up and arrested Paul. I think he arrested him to protect him. It says he bound him up with two chains. That's how bad of a dude Paul was, I guess. You know, double him up. Arms and feet shackled, right? And then the tribune inquires, who is this guy and what's he even done? Cops know this story. Like you walk on a scene and you're like, what happened? We don't even know. So the tribune has no idea who Paul is. He has no idea what he's done. Now watch this. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. Does that sound like America? Anyway, and he couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar. So he ordered him, let's take him back to the barracks. Safety, protection, get him out of here. And when Paul comes to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers. Could you imagine what a ride that was? Thousands, hundreds and hundreds of soldiers just pick him up and carry him off. Why? Because the mob of people, they were following, because of the violence of the crowd, the mob was saying, away with him. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Comes to Jerusalem, they attack him, they lie about him. They threatened to kill him. But you know, God didn't send Paul to a cross. And God's not sending you to a cross either. God sent Jesus to a cross. God may send you to the barracks. God may send you through a season of downtime. God may send you somewhere else to protect you and to save you from something. This captain had no idea what, who Paul was or what he'd done. The crowd was so chaotic, but he had authority and he had the means to protect Paul, to get him to safety. And God used this soldier and the hand of God was on him. Listen to me, you can trust God. God may show up in a very unconventional way. It may not look like you think it should. It may not be the timing you want it to be, but God can provide for you. He can protect you. Some of you look like that job loss is, oh, it's God's curse on my life. It could be God's protection and setup in your life. That breakup you just walked through and you thought he was the one or she was the one. It may be that God is protecting you from a chaotic marriage that you, that's down the road. God may use the season you're in to protect you from something ahead of you. He was literally getting beaten for obeying God and God came through for him with soldiers. He will help you. You can trust him, call on him, cry out to God, run to him because he's good even when he uses unusual means to deliver you. I know this message may seem heavy. Let me just ask, has it been beneficial to anybody in the room? This is something speaking to your life. Good. Then I wanna challenge you to run to God. I wanna challenge you to realize there are tough days in our lives and I get it. And you need God to intervene and I'm praying that he will, he will bring a breakthrough for you. But this world is tough enough. 
and painful enough. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it won't be challenged, but what if we choose to obey God and run to God and run to his church when life is painful, no matter what? What if we decide to live close to Jesus, growing in Christ, growing in faith, growing in his word, and like Paul, submitted to our leadership, our spiritual authority? What if we choose today to trust God and to walk with God and to follow Jesus close to him, even in the good, even in the bad, and in the ugly? And I just believe God's gonna show himself and carry us through. Can I hear an amen, everybody? God, would you speak to us through this word? God, would you encourage us, lift our head through this word? God, would you overwhelm us with your presence from this word? We pray, God, for the person going through it today. We pray that you'd lift their head. God, that you'd comfort their heart, that you'd, you would strengthen their resolve to know that you have overcome this world and we can overcome it with you. Lord, all of us at some point in our lives experience pain. And sometimes it's pain when everything when we're doing everything right, it seems. But God, we can take heart in you because you've overcome this world. You'll walk us through it, God. You'll deliver us. You're, you're, you're the God over everything. Lord, I pray you would begin to show yourself in a really mighty way. God, just lift our heads. Can we open our hands to the Lord? I just want everybody, we're, we're gonna confess Jesus as Lord. If you need to give your life to Christ, come on, this is for you. But I, I want every one of us to just submit that God has it all. He's over all and he's, he's a bigger God than our problems are. Can we just pray this together? Say, God, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin, that he rose from the dead, that I may have eternal life. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. I will live for you for the rest of my life. Say, God, I'm all in. I need you to break through in my pain. I need you to show yourself strong in my difficult times. I will not run from you. Come on, say it again. Say, I will not run from you, from your church, from your family. Say, God, I'm yours. I'm gonna stay with you. I'm gonna press into you. I'm gonna lean into you like never before. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, can we worship the Lord and celebrate him today? Thank you, God. Amen.